Oh man, I just want to talk about Jesus today. And anyone that stands and preaches or speaks, um, any Christian church would be, yeah, we believe in Jesus. But genuinely, like, man, Jesus is everything to me. Is he everything to you? Um, just in the worship, I, I loved how Katie set us up just to say, let's get our eyes fixed on him again. It's so easy to be distracted. Man, I remember when I was first saved, when I first encountered the saving mercy of Jesus, nearly two decades ago now. I know I look like Peter Pan. I don't look a day older than 44. I know that. But when he was everything, uh, Pete Gregg has this series of quotes recently that said, in the clutter of Christianity, we can bury Christ. And I don't want us to do that. I don't ever want to bury my saviour, like because we're doing stuff rather than falling in love with him again. So we're going to look at these questions. We're going to look at another question this morning where Jesus asks his friends, how many loaves do you have? If you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 15? Matthew 15. This is the uh, miraculous account of the feeding of several thousand people. Uh, We're going to read Matthew 15, verse 29 to around about 30, 36, something like that. If you haven't got a Bible, don't worry. It will come up on the the screen behind me. But I want us to, as I read this, let's not just think this is some ancient text out there. This is some of Jesus' followers recounting. This is what it looked like. This is what it looked like to be around him. It says, verse 29, Jesus left there and he went along the Sea of Galilee. But then he went up to the mountainside and he sat down. Great crowds came to him. And these crowds brought to him the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they laid him, them at his feet and he healed them. The people were amazed at this when they saw the mute speaking and the crippled being made well and the, the lame walking and the blind seeing. And they praised the God of Israel. <laughs> Duh, right? <laughs> Amazing. Jesus called his disciples to himself and he said, I have compassion for these people. They've been with me for ages. They've been with me for days already and they've had nothing to eat. Do you know what? I don't want them to go away hungry just in case they might collapse. His disciples answered, well, where where on earth are we going to get enough food, enough bread for them, for such a crowd like this? So Jesus turns this question in on them. Well, how many loaves do you have? How many loaves do you have in your hand? Jesus asked. Seven. Seven. Seven loaves. Seven loaves. Could you imagine their response? Seven. Thousands of people. Seven loaves and a few fish. A few anchovy. He took the crowd. Sorry, he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And then he took the seven loaves and the fish. And once he'd given thanks, he broke them and he gave them to his disciples. And they in turn to the people. And all ate and were satisfied. You know, this is an incredible miracle account, the miraculous provision of food. Thousands upon thousands of people needed food. They were starving. They were hungry. They must have been because Jesus said, I want to give them food just in case they collapse. I want you to picture the scene just for a moment. Huge crowds with a huge need. Uh, think about it. He, he's looking out across this crowd, uh, and we can we can so under like belittle this story of like, oh, of course, well the Lord will provide. But I want you to imagine a festival today, Glastonbury or somewhere, thousands of people, but everything's run out. There is no food, and and there's there's wounded people and sick people, and and people just 
just in all stages of life. And, and, and one man looks out with a group of 12 or so and he says, what do you see before you? What, what do you have in your hands to help? Man, it was probably chaos, right? The sick, the wounded, the vulnerable, the afflicted were being brought to the feet of Jesus. And it says, and he healed them. I'm going to look at that in a, in a little while, but I'm sure you'd agree it was probably chaos. Jesus then, picture it, calls his disciples to himself, time out, gather in, huddle up. What do you see, friends? What do you see? Well, people are hungry. Okay, so then we come to this question. So how many loaves do you have? How many loaves do you have in your hands? What do you have to help? This is what baffles me. There is no time in Scripture that Jesus doesn't intentionally get involved with people's lives. If there is a need in front of him, he intentionally gets involved. He becomes the solution. You hear us talk about this a lot. Jesus becomes the solution. He doesn't wait for other people to become the solution. So he intentionally gets involved and he's partnering with his disciples. And he's saying, and I want you to intentionally get involved as well. He could have just done it in isolation, right? You know, the story of manna falling from heaven in the old covenant, miraculous wafers dripping with honey. Mm, delicious, right? Delicious wafers from heaven dripping with honey, miraculously appearing for them to be fed and be satisfied. So Jesus, the Lord of all glory, could have just gone, booyah, everyone's satisfied in a moment. But he doesn't do that. And this is what I really want to lean into this morning. Like, Christ in us is the hope for everyone around us. I, I say that a lot because I believe it. Like, we are the light of the world. His light and love shines through us to feed people. That's where we're going this morning. So Jesus intentionally says, guys, I'm going to do this through you. I want to transform lives through you, through what's in your hands. How many loaves do you have? So I want to first say we need to recognize what we have in our hands. That's the first thing I want to say. You need to recognize what you have in your hand. I'm not saying your journal or your pen or your Bible right now, but the sum total of who you are, how God's formed you and fashioned you. Who are you? What do you have in your hand? Think about your life right now. Think about the people in your life. Think about where the Lord has positioned you. It's not random. Sometimes we hate what we do. Sometimes we hate where we are. But you know what? I believe God is sovereign over all of it. And even in the challenging places, he's positioned us there often to be light and love and grace and peace to the people around us. So where, where are you? Think about your life right now. The people in your life. Where does God want you to intentionally engage with the needs around you? Where has he placed you? Because I believe the same question needs to be posed to us. Friends, what do you have in your hand? How many loaves do you have? How many loaves do you have? You know, the reaction of the disciples is understandable, right? Sometimes we look at that and Phil brilliantly said a few weeks ago, we, we say silly disciples. If only you knew. But no, I, if you're anything like me, when I look out at cancer, when I look out at poverty, when I look out at trafficking, when I look out at drug epidemics across our city, when I look at my own life, sometimes I'm like, well, I have a bit of moldy bread and a few pathetic fish is what I have in my hands. What about you? What do you think? Is your, is your reaction sometimes like the disciples? What do we have? Jesus, what do I have? Not enough. Not enough is exactly what I have in my hands. So I, I, I believe that God wants to flip our perspective on this. 
And I believe this is what Jesus is doing with his friends. He's saying, no, I want you to see what you have in your hands because it is enough. It's enough. Watch what we're going to do with it. Watch what we are going to do with it. You know, the danger is uh, just be vulnerable, um, guarded and measured vulnerability. Um, if you're anything like me, you can, you can look at your life and the danger is you, pres- you, you, you come to every situation of difficulty and need um, from a position of lack. This is what I don't have. And I, I haven't got what you need. I haven't got the resources. I've actually got limited resources. Um, I'm actually quite a simple person. I, I don't quite know how to respond to this. And sometimes, I, if I'm honest, I don't know if I want to respond to this. God, help me. Help my heart. Help me give, the, the, you, give me the compassion of your heart that we see you have. But maybe you're like that. Maybe you say, well, even if I did get involved, even if I did give you my loaves and fishes, man, what on earth is difference is that going to make? What do you have in your hands? How many loaves do you have? You know, what do we see in Scripture? I, I believe what we see in the world is, man, if you are the man for the hour, power for the hour, you, you're a big deal, that's when you're going to make it. Very often you don't see that in Scripture. What you see is actually what is seemingly small and insignificant does incredible things. Incredible exploits for God. Think of the nature of how this happens. God seemingly chooses the small and insignificant things of this world to shame the wise. It's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He chooses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. Do you know what? Like, I am, like Paul, he says, I don't come to you with wise and persuasive words. I come to you in trembling. That's often how I feel, standing here looking at your beautiful faces. I don't come here and some of you go, no, not with wise and persuasive words. I come with trembling. I'm shaking. I'm trembling because I know who I am. God chooses to rescue and redeem the vulnerable and the broken and the have-nots to place his glory back inside them. So we, like jars of clay, the light and the love and the presence of Jesus shines through us. That's what your life looks like. But time and time again, Scripture says, I'm going to, God says, I'm going to choose the foolish things. Paul says, many of you noble by birth, I'm not. But he chooses us. He chooses us to shine his glory through. Look at the mustard seed. He uses the mustard seed as this brilliant example of the kingdom. You see what a mustard seed looks like? I used to think they're big. They're quite big. They're tiny little things. But he says, uh, what we see in a mustard seed is what starts very, very small actually grow and grow and grow and become the biggest tree. And it will cause shelter for creatures and birds of the air will come and rest on its branches. The mustard seed. Yeast, just a little bit of yeast in a batch of dough will infect the whole thing. People in the Bible, like I've said, like Moses, David, you could go on and on and on. People that have made mistakes, Gideon. Gideon, I'm going to choose Gideon. From the smallest tribe, this little dude, Gideon, I'm going to choose you. You know, it's not the, those that have it all together, the elite, the powerful, the super confident. Now, I'm not knocking. Like, godly confidence is actually what humility looks like. When you're confident in your God. But Paul says, I don't place confidence in my flesh. I place it in him who is inside of me. To let him shine. This is the nature of the kingdom. 
God chooses what is seemingly insignificant, what my bit of bread, my little fish, yeah, he wants to use that, friends. And I'm just looking out of, I don't know, 150 or so people here today. What do you have in your hands? How many loaves do you have in your hands? Because God wants to take the bread and the fish that is in your hands today, and he wants to transform people's lives through it. That's how he does it. That's how he does it. It says in verse 37, all ate and were satisfied. It's incredible. Few bits of bread and a few fish, but all ate and were satisfied. It wasn't just a little nibble. They ate and were satisfied. Has anyone been to Ben Brazil? Hey, thank you, Lizette. <laughs> yep. When you go to Ben Brazil, you don't just have a little snack. You eat until you're f- completely satisfied. This, some of you are like, what's Ben Brazil? Basically, you have two bits of two coins, a green one and a red one. And the whole time you have your green coin showing, people just bring you the finest meat known to man, sorry for vegetarians, or the finest corn known to man, and you just keep eating until you're satisfied. This is what we need to understand. Like what you have in your hands is enough for the people around you. Like when they taste Jesus on you, it will cause satisfaction in their hearts. That's what first drew me to the church. It wasn't just this lottery finger from heaven. Santino, I choose you. God did choose me, but he spoke through my friend Gary, sat on a forklift truck. Gary fed me Jesus. He presented to me what the real Jesus looked like. And there was a satisfaction that grew in that moment. I was like, man, I'm longing for more. I I want to keep asking this question, how many loaves do you have? Where's God positioned you? Friends, let's not wait until we have it all together. Let's not wait until we think, man, we have it all together. We have enough bread and fish in our hands. Once I have what I need, then I can give. If we do that, we could be waiting for a long time. And we could wait around and completely miss what God wants to do today through your life. Today through your life. So from understanding, recognizing, let's have a revelation. Holy Spirit, give us a revelation of who we are again. I'm not saying like your your redemption is set. If you've given your heart to Jesus, you're now a son or daughter of God. Nothing can ever snatch that from you. It's not the who you are. What do you have? How's he crafted your hands? Who are the people that he's placed in your life? From there, let's learn to be thankful. Man, I struggle with this. Verse 36 says, after Jesus had taken it and broke it, he gave thanks for what they had. Picture it. Thousands of people. Jesus is like, thank you, Father, for three fish. His disciples are probably like, Jesus, have you been at the communion? What's going on? How are you grateful for what we have? And if you're anything like me, man, I'm not often thankful for who I am or what I have, if I'm honest. Man, I want to be like you, Tim. I want to be more like Tim. I want to be more like Iffy. I play basketball with Iffy. I want to be more like Iffy. I can look around at all of you guys and say, well, some of you, <laughs> no, I'm joking. I can look at all of you and say, man, there's, there's a comparison that I want to be more like. I, I wish I wasn't me. I wish I was more like you. So I, I, I just pray that we'd be, we'd be aware of this because we don't often say it. Come on, we, we sit in this culture where we're just like, no, everything's together and everything's fine. Man, I know we, we probably all struggle with comparison at some 
level. So I pray that we'd be grateful for what we have in our hands. It's easy to compare. Man, I wish I was like them. I wish I had what they have. Comparison is horrible. Anyone enjoy comparison? It's a horrible beast. It actually stifles and limits, I believe, what God can do and wants to do in our lives. I want to be more grateful for what I have, genuinely. I'm just, like, I'm just like being open with you guys this morning. Help me with this. I want to help you with this. Let's learn to be more grateful for what we have. Oh, God, I'm, I'm grateful. Colossians 2, verse 7, the writer Paul encourages us, encourages the follower of Jesus, says, live a life that overflows with thankfulness. Isn't that amazing? Live a life that overflows with thankfulness. Psalm 100, verse 4. Some of you know it well. You've probably got it written on your fridge or wear a T-shirt with this verse on it. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Praise his name. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Now, that's not just when we enter a worship setting like this. I believe now we live in the new covenant where Christ is always in us. So we don't go to a temple. We are the living temple. So whenever you wake up in the morning, you can go, oh, I come before you with thanksgiving and praise. I walk down the street with thanksgiving and praise. I drive my little beaten up Toyota Yaris with thanksgiving and praise. I'm talking to this person right now that doesn't know you with thanksgiving and praise. I'm giving the loaves and the fish in my hands with thanksgiving and praise. What does that look like for you? What does that look like for you? Because I believe... Good stewardship of our lives look like lives that are grateful, lives that are thankful for what we have. Me and Katie were talking about this during the week, and a, a, a few of us as a team, this has been a bit of a team effort, this message, actually, because I've been asking ones, John and Katie and Ralph, hey, how do you handle this? What do you see in this? And, and Katie really helpfully was like, look, the reality, I know there's some here that do struggle. Of course, we all, we're all different. We're all in different places of life, but... Realistically, man, we, we live in, in wealth here, where we live in this country. Um, and we're a church that is very blessed. Um, and I want to I wanna, I wanna understand the blessing that we have. I want to be grateful and thankful for where I live. Man, I do. I want to be grateful and thankful because I think when we're grateful and thankful, we can learn to be generous with what we have as well. We can learn to be generous with what we have as well. What the disciples didn't do is kind of like, no, mine, mine. No, they gave it. They gave it freely. Just place your hand on your heart right now. Why don't you ask Holy Spirit to reveal to you again who you are, what you have. Do you know what repentance means? It doesn't just mean saying sorry. It means to have a complete change of thinking. If you need to repent right now, just repent. Say, God, I'm sorry that I haven't been grateful. I choose to be grateful for where I am, who I am, what I have in my life. So I just pray, Holy Spirit, just take a moment, see what he says to you. So friends, are we thankful? Do we see what we have and are we grateful for it? And then going on a bit of a journey from that place we can be ready to give it away. Be ready to give it away. That's what we see here. What worked through Jesus to his disciples and then to the people. Um, what we see here is people being brought to Jesus. Verse 30 says, Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. 
Man, if, if, if the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute weren't enough, many others. I wonder what many others means. I'm not, not just many others, but actually maybe those that were oppressed, those that were depressed, those um, were lonely. I don't know. We don't really see in the scriptures, but it says, and many others that needed some form of transformation were being brought to Jesus. I would say the vulnerable of vulnerable were being brought to Jesus. And in the melee, in the chaos, in the frenetic pace of what was going on, it says Jesus healed them. Uh, friends, we need to know that that's his heart and nature. He's not a standoffish God. He engages and he doesn't wait for us to deserve it or earn it. His heart and his nature is full of compassion and it says he healed them. He healed them. He's so good. Our pen and mark led us earlier. He is good. He's so good. He healed them. Those that needed transformation were being brought and he healed them. So, questions. Who can you bring to Jesus? How can we bring people to Jesus? And who can we bring to Jesus? I believe there's all sorts of multifaceted ways of doing this. Sometimes, I, I love what Andrew, my friend, our friend said last week when he, our church, my story, if you were here, so awesome. The way you brought Jesus to your neighbor, hey, this is how you can pray to him. If you don't know him, it's fine, I know him. Let me introduce you to him. That's how we bring people to Jesus, through prayer. So even right now, let Holy Spirit, again, just highlight those people in your lives and your neighbor's your friends, your colleagues, your family. I, I currently am the only one in my family that knows Jesus. And I want to bring my family to Jesus and say the same compassion and grace you poured out on my life. Would you do that for my mum? Would you do that for my brother? Would you do that for my dad? Would you do that for my cousins? Who can we be bringing to Jesus? Bring yourself to Jesus. He lives in you anyway. Bring yourself to Jesus. Jesus, I come before you today. Who can we be bringing to him? And also taking people to Jesus. I know you could say, well, it's the same, just play on words. Verse 36, after giving thanks, he gave the fish and the bread to his disciples and they gave it to the people. So it wasn't like, oh yeah, just so we'll gather in, but let me take it out to the people. We've gone there already, but Jesus says, no, I want you. You guys take the." You take the baskets. You go and feed the people. They didn't save it all up like I've just said. And that's so easy to do. Man, I do that with my own resources, my money at times, my stuff, my stuff. I don't want to give anyone else my stuff just in case I haven't got enough of my stuff. But they didn't do that. They freely gave what they had in their hands. You know, the disciples followed Jesus into the unknown, and that's what we're called to do, friends. I said it last week, let us never have Groundhog Day in the church. Let us, let us never just prescribe what's going to go on in our lives and, and domesticate this, this wind of the Spirit, domesticate this, this incredible, mighty God. He wants to do incredible things for us, but freely we've received. So we get to freely give it away, and they followed him into the unknown. I don't know about you, but I sometimes find that scary. Yeah, step out of the boat, step onto the sea, follow me into the unknown. I, I've only got a bit of bread, Jesus. Come, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. That was his promise. I'll make you fish for men. So 
Fear and doubt did not stop, stop them. They just trusted and they followed. They took what the Lord had given them and they gave it away. I really want us to see that he moved through them and he moves through you. He moves through you, friend. And I find that it's often in times that I least expect it. He wants to move through you. Same spirit that raised Jesus from death now lives in us. I want you to think about that for a minute. That same spirit that we sang, the grave is now empty, the grave has been defeated, death has been defeated, Jesus is alive. That same spirit that said to Jesus, up you get, now lives in you, lives in me. And then Jesus says in Matthew, freely you've received, so freely give it away. I think it will come up on the screen behind me. So as we're taking people to Jesus, this is how we're doing it. He says, as you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you know what that means? The kingdom of heaven? What is true of heaven is true now in our lives, that we can release things of heaven on the earth. What do we know of heaven? Wow, it's a place of perfect peace. Like Katie said earlier about Jesus bringing perfect peace to our hearts. So when he says, proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand, wherever we go, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So in tough work situations, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When we're on the streets and we're, we're surrounded by people with drug addiction, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The sick, the wounded, the vulnerable, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy, drive out demons, freely you've received, so freely give it away. Acts 10.38 is not on the screen. I'll put this in later. But it's just struck me again. This is what it says of Jesus. And if we're one with Jesus, Jesus is in us and we're in him, this mystery that Christ is in me, then this is true of us. It says that Acts 10.38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So right now, be aware that you're anointed with Holy Spirit and power. Well, it blows my mind. The Holy Spirit and power live within me. And it's then it says, and he went around doing good. <laughs> I love that. Not the Holy Spirit and power, so it's electricity out of my hands to hit Emma. No, the Holy Spirit anointing with power is, man, I go around doing good. I go around bringing peace, wholeness, healing. So Holy Spirit, I pray, would you, would you give us awareness again right now that we carry your presence? I not just ask right now, say, Holy Spirit, give me an awareness. Would I see you? Would I feel you? Would I tangibly know the peace of God in my life? That's amazing. Man, I'm blessed to be a blessing. You have been transformed to help bring transformation. That's what we're on the planet for. Go and make disciples. Go and bring transformation. Not let's holy huddle. Go, scatter, spread yourselves out. Man, this is family. We get to be family here. But the kingdom is like, man, through us. God, move through us. We're the light of the world. The light of the world. Jesus says, you're the light of the world, a city on the hill. We carry the light, the love, the presence of Jesus. Just contemplate that for a minute. 
How Jesus wants to feed people is through you. And through you, he wants to feed people with hope, with healing, with love, with life, with meaning, with purpose, with forgiveness, with grace, with mercy. And it's all here. Look at how much bread and fish we have. Look at it. Man, he wants to do it through your lives. He wants to do it through my life. And in and through it all, this is his heart. Verse 32, I have compassion for these people. Just hear the words of our Savior again. Man, I have compassion for these people. Do you know what compassion means? This is just a basic dictionary definition. A feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another person. Another person who is stricken by misfortune. But accompanied by this feeling is a strong desire to alleviate that suffering. That's what compassion is. It's such a whole word. It's not just like, oh man, my heart breaks for you. But it's like, man, I want to be the answer. I want to, I want to help fix this. Christ in us is the answer. And the Greek word for this word compassion, I don't want to say it because I can't say it right. But this Greek root word actually means to feel something from our guts. It's connected to our heart and liver and lungs so when Jesus says, I looked on and had compassion, it's like, man, my, my heart, my lungs, my liver, my guts are affected. How do we look on to people around us? Are we nonplussed? Are we apathetic? Man, I want to look out at the needs around me and say, man, my guts are affected by this. I want to help alleviate this suffering. I want to help be the radical answer to your life. So compassion move Jesus, does it move us? That's what I want to ask. Does it move your heart? Jesus continues to look out of the needs of our society and humanity, all the pain, the suffering, the brokenness, and he still says today, man, I have compassion on these people. And he says it for us. I have compassion for these people. So this is how we're going to land. When we think of the question again, how many loaves do we have? Together as one body, as his people, as one community, as one family, there is one simple answer. We have one loaf. Jesus, we have one loaf. Just think about that. One loaf that was broken. One loaf that was ransomed for many. One loaf that was stricken for us. One loaf that was pulled apart to be fed to many. One loaf. And that is Jesus Christ who died and rose again. That's who we're giving away. That's who we carry in our hands. That's who we carry in our hearts and our lives. And that's who we're revealing to the world around us. Jesus Christ, this wonderful saviour. You know, Jesus himself in John's gospel said these words, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He is the bread. And he is the one that can go around and satisfy the whole world. And there is plenty to go around. So we're going to take bread and wine in a few moments. And we're going to do this as an act of worship. I'll give us a bit more instruction in a moment. But we're going to, we're going to say, Jesus, today I choose again to say, you're the bread of life. You're the bread of life. But I want to 
I want to go somewhere quickly as well to say he's not only the bread of life that sustains, satisfies to give us eternal life. That's what I believe he's saying here. But he's also our daily bread. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. I absolutely believe that's provision, of course. Give us what we need, of course. But you know what supersedes all of that? His presence. You know, yeah, we can be healed. We can be made whole. We can, we can have financial provision. We can have material provision. But do you know what supersedes and trumps all of that? Him. It's him. It has to be him. So as we take the bread and the juice today, representing his blood and his body broken for us, we can choose today to take the bread and say, Jesus, you're my daily bread. Maybe every day you take bread, you can say in your home, wherever you are, Jesus, today, you're my daily bread. You're what I have in my hands. You're what I'm eating and feasting on myself. And you're also what I'm giving away to the world around me. You're my daily bread. Thank you that you're enough for me today. Thank you that you're peace for me today. Thank you that you're alive today. Thank you that you are hope today, your healing today, your meaning and purpose and significance today. Today, Jesus, you're my daily bread. Why don't we stand together?